Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi, it's Jim Polzel. I decided to get a jump on tonight's program, so here it is. From the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I had a request this week that we go back to uh, the news and views for one day so we could catch up on some of the stories that we might have missed, we might have forgotten about, or anything else for this month. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go over some news and views, uh, some commentary, and get back to what we were doing before disaster prepared this month. Now, if you are, uh, what do you call it? If you're interested in disaster preparedness month, uh, 2023, go back. Uh, and we'll be continuing to do this until the end of the month and the beginning of October in all likelihood. And we have talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Last night we talked about uh, PPE, some of the PPE you're going to need medical stuff, toxicology, 9-11 dust, respiratory protection, all those other uh, things in there, and more. And, you know, anyway, that's what we're doing. I, yes, Jim, you're rambling. Yeah, so what? This is from the uh, September 15, 2023 from OSHA Region 4. Department of Labor investigation finds grain silo operator failed to provide required safety training and follow proper procedures in a deadly engulfment. A federal investigation to how a 59-year-old worker at a Colquitt grain silo, this is in Georgia, became engulfed and suffocated in April 2023, found the operator could have prevented the fatality by following required grain handling safety regulations. So they were cited for uh, a lot of money here. Let's see, do they have this? $41,303. For a smaller company, that is a lot of uh, money here. So let's see what we have going on here. There is, well, they can't plead ignorance because there have been safety procedures in effect since 1988. The U.S. Department of Labor announces $12.7 million in grants awarded to promote workplace safety, health, training, and education. This is all through the Susan Hardwood grant. This is from yesterday. The press release. Uh, there were uh, 100 nonprofit organizations who received $12.7 million in grants. So uh, at the beginning of the year, usually they put out a request for uh, grants, and it's almost always has to do, from what I've noticed, uh, training situations with this. And the advantage of this program is, is that one, the government's paying for it. Number two, all the course materials are free. And you can go to the OSHA website. They recently redesigned the website and you're able to download a lot of these materials uh, for free. 
how do you use them? There are some restrictions uh, to them, but for a good starting off point uh, for writing your own presentations and doing your own training, well, that's a good idea uh, to go and check this stuff out. Of course, the computer locks. Okay. U.S. Department of Labor files. This is all from the Department of Labor website. U.S. Department of Labor files lawsuit alleging two Ann Arbor restaurants failed to pay 20 workers $121,000 in overtime wages. On September 18, 2023, the Department of Labor filed suit seeking $242,534, representing $121,767 in back wages and an equal amount in liquidated damages for 20 employees of a certain company in Ann Arbor after investigators with the department's wage and hour division alleged FLSA violations by the two jointly operated restaurants and their owner and their owner. Right, we don't mention company names here. Specifically, investigators found the employer failed to pay their employees time and one-half for their hourly rate for overtime uh, between July 2020 and July 2023. So, uh, again, this is something uh, that you really need to consider when you are... Uh, uh, when you're paying your workers, are you paying the right amount? Are you paying the correct amount? Are you paying on time and everything else uh, with that? Uh, hold on, let me catch up here on that first story. So this is from uh, September 7, 2023. U.S. Department of Labor complaint request for temporary restraining order against one, two, three, four, five entities here. Looks like four people and two companies. Uh, the department alleges that a Mississippi-based fish farm and processing plant and their owners and operators retaliated against and, and intimidated workers in violation of federal law during an investigation by the department's wage and hour division. That's witness tampering. That's really not a good idea. Uh, the agency's investigation is part of a larger collaborative effort uh, to investigate working conditions for migrant workers. All of these cases where the wage and wages, right, they're not paying the uh, correct wages, all seem to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, with uh, immigrant, no, uh, communities at risk, immigrant communities, things of that nature. That seems to be where this all comes from. It seems like a common theme in uh common theme uh, in all of these wage cases. U.S. Department of Labor awards more than $1.5 million in grants to prevent respond to workplace gender-based violence and harassment. This is from earlier this month. It doesn't really give a date here. The U.S. Department of Labor today announced the award of more than $1.5 million and grants to support efforts by five community organizations to prevent and respond to gender-based violence and harassment against underserved and marginalized women and workers. Administered by the Department's Women's Bureau and the Employment Training Administration, the Foster Access, Fostering Access Rights and Equity Grants will help survivors and women at high risk for violence and harassment in the workplace. 
Eliminating gender-based violence and harassment wherever it exists is an administration priority, uh, Acting Secretary of Labor Julie Sears said. So what are they going to do with the grant money? Develop and distribute worker and survivor-centered materials to raise awareness, design programs to prevent workplace gender-based violence and harassment, connect working women to services, benefits, and legal assistance, encourage... uh, working women and survivors to become focal points in their communities and provide ways to expand their effectiveness through train-the-trainer programs, guided conversations, and leadership or other activities. I think a lot of, at least in my experience, this is a lot of, uh, with a situation where people come from different cultures and in different cultures, different behaviors are acceptable. And people taking advantage of those cultural differences. Federal court orders labor contractors to pay more than $1 million in back wages and penalties after investigations find repeated violations of farm worker rights. So if you're a farm worker and there are uh, a lot of these guy people, and I'm, I say guys when they're usually men, but not, all, but not always, right? More and more women are getting involved here. Uh, Again, with migrant workers and agricultural workers uh, with that. Now, because you have uh, workers, you no, know, they, they don't necessarily, uh, normal employment, other employments, they have per diem. A lot of times in the farm workers, uh, they have, they supply the housing, they supply food and things of that nature. So here we have a uh, couple of violations from them. Uh, Failed to provide meals on Sunday and supplied farm workers with insufficient and spoiled food. Has farm workers in quarters that failed to meet safety and health requirements. Did not provide safe transportation to and from housing sites and work locations. Failed to pay outbound transportation and subsistence when workers completed their work contracts. And did not meet uh, a, and I don't know what this is here, H-2A uh, visa programs three-fourths pay guarantee. Illegally sought meal and involuntary quit waivers from H2A workers and failed to state the terms and conditions accurately and completely in job orders and work contracts. So this was a million dollars. That'll lead into the profits there, right? This did not come across the OSHA website, but it did come across the DOL website. I don't really understand how that happens here. Uh, but a Texas workplace safety investigation found a Nixon poultry processor exposed employees to ergonomic hazards, a common industry safety concern, and the cause of many injuries to its workers. U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA estimates about 50% of injuries and illnesses in the poultry processing industry involve MSDs, musculoskeletal disorders. So what do they uh, get them on? Again, this is uh, not only uh, ergonomics, right? An, an ergonomic, because we don't have an ergonomic standard in this country. There was a proposed one in the early 2000s that was, uh, that uh, the kibosh was put on, basically as unenforceable for the most part. And uh, again, as Sheldon Primus says, when the Republicans are in there, there's compliance assistance and when the Democrats are in there, it's compliance enforcement and new standards. And 
uh, check out his uh, podcast, The Safety Consultant. He had some really good information about the OSHA website there and ways to make yourself look smart in front of your employer. So what uh, what do they have? The uh, so we understand that ergonomic stressors are now uh, enforced under the general duty clause of OSHA, which states that you have to have a safe and healthful workplace free of recognized hazards, and you have to meet four requirements for that, and which are very difficult to meet most of the time. So things go unenforced and unresolved. So they failed. Uh, what did this place do? They failed to provide eye protection. That's uh, about 10 years ago, they started to enforce those eye protection rules. Did not develop procedures for lockout and tagout machines and stunned startups. That's the 1910-147 standards. And failed to guard rotating shafts, chains, and sprockets. Uh, so that's one of those. Then they also had a general duty clause violation there for uh, ergonomics. And the agency has proposed... $60,000 in fines there. And we're going to take a break right here, and we'll be back with some national and international headlines having to deal with safety. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, we are back from our commercial break. We're going to talk about some headlines. Uh, all of this has to do with a theme on safety or something that I find interesting here. So this uh, came out in the news uh, this week. Elon Musk, Neuralink, looking for people to trial its brain chip, computer chip. Elon Musk, and this is from the dailystar.co.uk. And I no people point out, well, maybe, you know, that's uh, not the best website, blah, 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 for news. Well, whatever. Uh, there's some truth to all of this stuff. Whether it's accurate or not, like I say, I have no idea. On any of the stories I give are accurate, especially after the last three years of dealing with COVID. It really much came, came to the forefront on how these news articles are written, if they are even written by a computer anymore. How's that? Elon Musk's neurotechnology company, Neuralink, has opened in the application process for people who want to be implanted with its brain-computer interface device, despite criticism over its safety. Tesla and ex-CEO Elon Musk's neuro neurotechnology company, Neuralink, has revealed it is looking for people to trial its brain-computer chip 
despite fierce criticism of its deadly animal tests. The company got the green light from an independent review board to start their brain-computer interface testing on people who suffered from paralysis from cervical spinal cord injuries or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, that's Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, Musk has uh, previously claimed that his BCI will enable someone with paralysis to use a smartphone with their mind faster than someone using thumbs. He and his company will now initiate recruitment for the first human trial of the brain implant. You can go find that on some uh, uh, somewhere online. This has actually been first time I heard of this was in the early 1980s with uh, a Clint Eastwood movie called Firefox, where they had to steal a, a prototype fireplane, a, a, a fighter plane, bomber from the old Soviet Union was like a Cold War spy espionage movie, that sort of thing. Pretty interesting, but uh, what we, uh, but, you know, that's the first time I heard of this. And uh, I mean, this technology, uh, no, I, I believe from what I've heard in some of the alternative news sites, and it's been on trial with uh, the military for many years, and as they often say, the military, the U.S. military under DARPA has stuff that's 30 years ahead of what you know of out there. That's one of the common, uh, I guess you would call that a trope, uh, that we've always heard. Alabama man director tased by police for not stopping his students' performance. Have you heard about this one? What began as a routine band performance of talking out of the side of your neck by cameo at an Alabama high school football game ended in a troubling confrontation when a police officer tased the marching band director for refusing to stop the music. The altercation occurred Thursday around 9 p.m. local time after a game at uh, the Jackson Olin High School in Birmingham, Alabama. Minor high school band le uh, leader, uh, band director Johnny Mims, 39, and an ensemble of 145 students were about a minute away from being done with their final song when a police officer approached the podium. According to both Mims and the Birmingham Police Department, officers asked Mims to stop the performance so they could clear out the stadium. Mims responded that the song was about to end and the performance was agreed on by both schools. Nothing we were doing at the time was being a danger to the community, said Mims. Uh, everyone was enjoying themselves. That's part that's the part I'm having a hard time grappling with. As the students finished their performance, officers attempted to arrest Mims for not complying. Police said a band director refused to place his hands behind his back and allegedly pushed an arresting officer. I hope they have body cam footage here. Mims said he was simply caught off guard, adding that it was difficult to see who was grabbing him because the stadium's lights went out. Moments later, an officer pulled out a stun gun and tased Mims. Birmingham police said it happened once with Mims and says he was tased up to three times. The entire confrontation was witnessed uh, by dozens of students, parents, and faculty members. On Tuesday, the Birmingham Police Department released body-worn cameras. Thank God for the body cameras. By the way, on one of my projects, I actually had to buy one of these uh, because we're having an issue. So we'll see how that pans out. Here's from uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, news from the Hill on uh, from NASA. Uh, NASA scientists are predicting a chance that asteroid Bennu 
will strike the earth in the future, potentially affecting the area the size of Texas. Venu is a near-Earth uh, object that passes the planet roughly every six years, and experts have been watching it since it was discovered in September 1999. According to scientists, Venu has a chance to pass through what they call a gravity keyhole, which was send it on a collision course with Earth in the year 2182. A new paper from OSIRIS-REX science team predicts Venu has a 0.037% chance, that's 1 in 2700, of hitting Earth. This will largely depend on another flyby. In 2135, Venu will zoom past Earth just enough to that our planet's gravitational pull could affect, in just, affect it in just the right way to pull it on a path to hit us in 2182. Almost 159 days to a date, right? So, uh, I think we have a lot of time to prepare. Imagine a disaster preparedness month, right? In 2180, right? In 2181, September, disaster preparedness month, right? For 2182, or now we're in 2181. Uh, we're uh, going to be preparing for an asteroid strike. That's going to come in about a year. Imagine that. Pretty funny. Well, hopefully they have things figured out by then. But, um, and then again, you know, maybe they won't. Americans trust in political system at new lows. That, I didn't plan this out this way, but this is the way it is. Will the American political system protect us from asteroids? Sheriff Americans say they have unfavorable views on both the Democrat and Republican parties. Now it's 28% up from something like 12% in uh, 1994, something like that. Wow, four times as many Americans have unfavorable views of both parties today than they did in 2002. Well, 37% uh, of 18 to 29 year olds had an unfavorable views of both parties compared to just 16% of those 65 and older. Growing number of younger voters are rejecting the two-party system and claiming it and claiming to be independent, Axios has reported. Between the lines, a third-party solution is not so straightforward. Now, we're going to do a program. We did this in the past, so we're going to do it again in the very near future on ballot access. And the biggest issue that third parties have, not only is it the uh, news media, right, with the, when you watch one channel, Republicans good, Democrats bad, then the next channel, Democrats uh, uh, good, Republicans bad, and there's nobody really in the middle, no pragmatists out there trying to go out there and try to work together. That's really not happening. Uh, so what's, uh, uh, no, the whole thing is valid access. You need to go, if you're going to be a presidential campaign, campaign, uh, person, uh, uh, you know, pres uh, running a campaign, it's a big undertaking. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, a uh, uh, former uh, head of a third party in, uh, over the weekend at a wedding I was at, and he had, we were, we were discussing this, it's ballot access. People don't realize what, what it takes to run this, uh, to do this. And by the way, it, I mean, this is not conspiratorial. This is all by design. 
uh, especially after two key uh, uh, events. Number one was the 1992 third party run by the American Reform Party. I think the Reform Party or American Reform Party, there were two of them, uh, Ross Perot, where uh, Bill Clinton was elected without a majority of the vote. Right, it's called the 43%. They'll always vote for Democrats uh, there. And I believe uh, Republicans were something like 37%, George H.W. Uh, Bush, 37%, whatever. And the reminder, remainder was Ross Perot, and he was considered a spoiler. Then shortly thereafter, in I believe it was 1997, you had a former guest, a guest on this program, Murray Sabrin, who ran for governor of New Jersey and as a libertarian, he got elected. And then we had Governor Jesse Ventura in Minnesota, I believe it was, uh, who got elected also. So what happened was a lot of parties said, a lot of states said, hello, we can't really do this. What's happening here? Oh no. So they changed a lot of their ballot access requirements to try to squeeze out uh, the other candidates. So that's a little bit inside baseball, but you know, everyone's afraid to talk politics. I'll talk politics here. I don't endorse candidates. I don't plan on endorsing a candidate unless the groove though really hits the fan. The Senate chucks its unwritten dress code. Bring on the gym shorts. So this was from, and I, I'm not the one who uh, came up with this, was the Senator what is his name? I keep forgetting. Uh, From uh, Pennsylvania, Fetterman. He walks around with a uh, Carhartt sweatshirt and cargo shorts or gym shorts. And that's like his signature. Sort of like with me. I'm not wearing it now. The Safety Wars baseball jersey and the hat. I got the Trenton. I'm sorry. The uh, Sussex County Miners hat on today. So uh, that's my usual hat. Uh, and boulders, New York boulders. Uh, but uh, essentially, they uh, that's his trademark. He walks around like that. And they were trying to make an accommodation with this, uh, it seems, with his. Uh, and they're getting away with the dress code. A little commentary there. I'm cleaning out my closet and during the whole COVID thing, right? Everybody, it seems like everybody in my neighborhood had uh, cleaned out their house from top to bottom because every bulk garbage day, third week of the month, there was literally, uh, you know, people had five, six, seven yards of garbage on their front lawn that they cleaned out. A massive garage sales and so many donations to the uh, charities that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't uh, accept anymore uh, stuff. I know we had, I think, three yards of stuff out of my mother-in-law's house that nobody wanted. And no, we couldn't donate. Nobody wanted. We couldn't bring them into our house. Uh, so everything went out in the garbage and recycling. Uh, but, uh, you know, so anyway, we're cleaning out my uh, closet. And my daughter says, Daddy, Daddy, why do you have so many ties? You don't wear ties. I said, uh, well, Jessica, when I got out of college and I worked at a environmental consultant and then an engineering firm, you didn't even walk into the engineering firm or the environmental consultant 
at least initially in the early 90s without you didn't even think about walking in there without a tie that was the dress code uh, jackets were great when I where I went to high school St. Joe's in Metuchen, New Jersey uh, the dress code was full button-down uh, uh, shirts uh, some kind of usually khaki shorts, but wear corduroys, right? When was the last time you wore corduroy pants? Black shoes, uh, usually, or suede shoes, and a tie. That's what it was. And if you didn't do that, you got into big trouble. Uh, eventually, right? They wrote you up one time, and they had a progressive discipline policy. But anyway... They, uh, that's sort of what it was. So I uh, kind of accumulated, and it was an often a gift. Uh, hey, I got you a tie here, right, for Christmas and no, that, everything else. So uh, that's what we ended up uh, having so many ties. Today, I was talking to a industry leader of a company that you've heard of uh, that every one of us uses, I think, who has a computer, and he was looking for a new job, a new gig. And he says, Jimmy, I don't know how to dress. I go on these job interviews, and he said, he's up my age, and I said, I used to wear uh, you know, a jacket and tie to a job interview all the time. That's not acceptable anymore. Who knows? You know, what do I wear? <laughs> it's uh, sort of like the, it's, it's sort of like the first rest area on Route 95 in Florida in February. You have half of the people in shorts and tank tops and half of the people bundled up, right, because they're coming from the north on vacation. They're all bundled up like it's winter weather, and nobody knows what to wear, what's appropriate, what's not. I don't know. <laughs> right? That's like the funniest thing. Uh, President Joe Biden on Wednesday, and... Uh, thank you for the traffic jam, President Biden is taking executive action to establish the American Climate Corps, a workforce training service initiative that seeks to take inspiration from the New Deal to address the impacts of climate change. What exactly are they going to do? Put uh, uh, hopes of 20,000 people to work in the first year on projects that include deploying renewable energy and energy-efficient technologies and making communities more resilient to the effects of climate change. Okay, so we have uh, a question here. Are these going to be public employees or private employees? Because I tell you what, you want a job, even in the health and safety field, you want a good-paying job, go into the energy sector. Go into uh, this sort of thing. There's openings all over the place over here in, in the Northeast. Connecticut being one of them, Rhode Island being another state. Uh... New Jersey, off the coast, the East Coast. I don't know about the West Coast. But I know the East Coast, there's a lot of these here projects going on. So the question ends up being is what, uh, what are they going to do here? They're going to take away those jobs, those good paying jobs, and give them to government servants? Or are these government servants now going to get paid a lot of money? Oh, and by the way, I do have a hard hat from the Civilian Conservation Corps which this is inspired by. Uh, cleaning out my mother's house, uh, we found one from the old owners uh, from the 19 uh, Irving Hutt. If you're from the Woodridge area, you know the Hutt family, they're uh, attorneys. Uh, but anyway, a uh, little joke. 
uh, I was out uh, away from home and someone said, oh, you're from Woodbridge. And I said, yeah, Woodbridge. And he said, well, do you know uh, Stuart Hutt? And I said, do I know Stuart Hutt? I slept in his bedroom for years. And the guy looked at me. I said, yeah, my parents bought, bought the house off of their, bought their house off uh, uh, the Hutt's mother, right? And they all got a good laugh out of it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it was. My bedroom was Stuart Hutt's bedroom. Uh, but... Uh, I told that to his widow, and his widow could not stop laughing, as she told me. Anyway, uh, by the way, you're going to say, well, who the hell was Stuart Hunt, and what does it matter to me? Him and his brother, all right? little footnote in history. If you ever heard of uh, the incubator, or incubating, like, uh, premature babies, that sort of thing, right? Uh the inventor of that, and I forget his name, the inventor of that, nobody was interested. He invented this thing for incubating babies. Nobody was interested in it. So he made a side show on Coney Island in Brooklyn for the incubated babies in this thing, right? Stuart Hutt and his twin brother were two of the babies that were there on Coney Island being incubated by that thing. So look it up. Incubators, Babies, Coney Island. And that was the guy who I'm talking about. But anyway. Uh, so let's see. Off oh, now, let's go into The Office of Management, getting back to this climate changing, is issuing proposed rulemaking to allow participants to have streamlined pathways into civil service jobs. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Expand the federal government. Really good, really great idea. We are we passed the thirty-three trillion dollar mark on the federal debt. I think or thirty-two, thirty-three doesn't matter, right? At this point, and devalue the currency even more. Very good, very great idea there, guys. With half of uh, Miami's elected officials under investigation, the city's history is repeating. So, uh, two state law enforcement agents walked into Miami City Hall last week. To arrest a city commissioner, their arrival was a very public reminder of the that the magic city was once again awash in corruption allegations. Now suspended commissioner Alex Diaz de la Portilla is facing criminal charges and he sold his vote for $245,000 in campaign cash. At the same time, the FBI is separately investigating whether Mayor Francis Suarez worked behind the scenes to help a developer who was quietly paying him $10,000 a month, and the local prosecutors have an open case prompted by accusations that several of the city's politicians, in particular Commissioner and former Mayor Joe Carolla, held improper influence over the police force. As usual, everyone's denying wrong, wrongdoing. If you, you know, people just make this stuff up. Now, something a little bit more uh, 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 here, oh, let's talk about this. Hold on. North Slope, Inupiat, I think that's how you pronounce it, leader, uh, decries Biden administration moves against oil and gas in Alaska. A North Slope, Inupiat, I don't know how to pronounce it, representative, and I apologize on this because it's actually really important here, Testifies to Biden's administration's cancellation of oil and gas leases in Alaska will hurt tribal communities and raise the price of doing business on oil and gas in this country. 
During a pair of congressional hearings, an Interior Department official and leader of an Alaska na Native group offered very different perspectives on the Biden administration's recent moves against oil and gas drilling in Alaska. Earlier in September, the Department of Interior canceled seven leases for oil and gas drilling in Anwar. That uh, agency that agency also proposed a rule that would expand limits on oil and gas development on 13 million acres in the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska, including uh, through an outright ban on new leasing over on over 10.6 million acres. So the intent is to put some rules in place to make uh, certain we follow not only the intent of Congress, but to manage those special areas in a way that benefits the generation, said Michael Ned, Deputy Director of Operations for Interior Bureaus of Land, Interiors Bureau of Land Management, in response to questioning from Dr Representative Jared Huffman, Democrat of California. Mr. Ned testified during the first two hearings, which were held by subcommittee of the Natural Resources Committee on September 19th. In her opening uh, statement, the subcommittee's ranking member, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, claimed that indigenous Alaskans affected first and foremost by development helped lead the effort, right? Other, uh, so that's, what does this guy says? Uh, when Trump administration did have a lease sale, there wasn't much interest, Mr. Huffman said, referencing the results of the 2021 option. Yet, Nagut Harsharek, president of the nonprofit Voice of the Arctic Inupad, didn't exactly celebrate the whole thing. Testifying during the subcommittee's second hearing, Mr. Harsharek was very clear that he anticipates the decisions will have a negative impact on his people and their communities in northern Alaska. Do you believe that the administration's recent announcements will lead to high standard investment and sustainable development across the region? Asked Representative Pete Stauber. He was referring to pillar number three of the administration's own recent national, secure, national strategy, in which it promised to further sustainable economic development in the Arctic. So Mr. Harachek answered, I think that the recent announcements clearly in my testimony and what I just said limit our ability to responsibly develop our resources. It shrinks our economic uh, potential, he added, but we're explaining just how much the uh, Inuit-dominated uh, North Slope Borough depends on fossil fuels. 95% of the revenues that's generated with the North Slope Borough is funded through the taxation of oil and gas infrastructure. Those dollars are reinvested into the eight communities that we have to provide modern service, that we have to provide modern services. So basically what they're saying is they're not going to, they're going to lose money on this. Public assistance, some of this is, I'm sure some grants uh, to underwrite some of the uh, services, the things that government does, right, the regular services. So, uh, in 1969, before our people had any land rights and no economic prospects, as a result, life expectancy was 34 years. By 1980, our average life expectancy was 65, roughly equivalent with Libya and lower than North Korea. Today, our people can expect to live an average of 77 years. He wrote, attributing that rise to resource development projects. Okay, so that's actually a pretty good index, right, on this.
Not the first time I've heard this. I don't, I'd like to know what the impacts were, what, what's improved, other than general health care and everything, what specific impacts there were. Because the 34 years, that's about what the life expectancy was in America and all throughout Western Europe. I don't know about Eastern Europe or Asia or anywhere. But that's usually what it was, roughly 34, 40 years old, something like that. And then what did they do? The late 1800s. Sanitation and chlorinated water. What killed all the waterborne illnesses and then eventually medications came out, penicillin uh, and other antibiotics, things of that nature. So, I don't know. Uh, this is a valid argument, right? When you look historically at our own development elsewhere, what it had to do with waterborne illnesses and proper sanitation and things of that nature. And basically two generations, our life expectancy doubled with that. Uh, so, I don't know. It's, uh, I, and the article goes on and on. You can read it in the Epoch Times. Fear of Russian, now let's go into the nuclear stuff, right? And the war. It's getting pretty scary out there, people. Okay, what are we up to? Okay. Checking on time here. Fear of Russian nuclear escalation still impeding military aid to Ukraine. This is uh, from Odessa, Ukraine, by Mike, from an article from Newsweek, Michael was Syria. Since Russia last launched its invasion on February 24, 2022, Ukraine's Western partners have pledged to provide Kiev, or Kiev with more than over $100 billion in military aid, but the fears in some of the capitals that a shipment of certain armaments might prove to represent a Kremlin red line that could lead to nuclear war has delayed delivery of certain weapon systems past the point which they have been put to the, into their own effective possible use. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. So basically, uh, what they're saying is a little bit too little, a little bit too late on some of this. Now, the Pope has said, and I just closed out that thing, so hold on, google.com. And of course, with the slowest internet connection in the tri-state area, kind of hard to do anything. But the Pope, basically this week, the gist of the, uh, the article I just closed out, was that we're getting closer to nuclear war. we got to stop this craziness in the world, right? So, uh, and that goes through what we're talking about here on Disaster Preparedness Month. There's things that you can control. There's things you can't control. You can't control these big issues. You can control what you do. After cluster bombs, the U.S. to send many nukes to Ukraine, Russia warns of full-scale full nuclear war. That's another headline here. This is from Fox News. Nuclear exchange with China is much closer than America's think experts warn. Preparing to go to war, Gatestone Institute senior fellow Gordon Chang said U.S. businesses need to pull out of Taiwan. So this is his whole thing. We have most of our ship capacity uh, in, for the United States that's out of, I believe, one or two companies in Taiwan. Uh, and when you consider the size of Taiwan and its proximity to China, 
I don't, I don't see how Taiwan is going to be able to resist uh, China if they decide to invade. I don't care what technology they have from us. I don't think I don't see it happening. You just don't have the people uh, there to do it, uh, or to resupply. It's one thing to throw, go and fight somebody off. It's another thing. Where do you get your resupplies at? Right, small island. You're going to really have to rely on us. Or another country, us, United States, to do that. That's kind of, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Dyer uh, Warren, no, Gas Gatestone Institute Senior Fellow in China, expert Gordon Chang, issued a dire warning about the possibility of nuclear exchange with China as tensions remain inflated on the world stage. We're much closer than people think. Chang said on mornings with Maria, I believe that's Maria Bartiroma, uh, China is preparing to go to war. China is surveying the United States for nuclear weapons strikes and also a lot of land they're buying up. So we've got to realize the gravity of this uh, here. Russia flirts for the end of mutually assured discretion. This is from worldcrunch.com. Uh, from yesterday, nuclear war is the inevitable conclusion of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. That's the opinion of retired Major General Alexander Lamirov from an interview he gave last week to the journalist Vladislav Shurigin and reported by the British tabloid. The retired general and author of General Theory of War, which is seen in Moscow as the nation's war bible, warned, for the transition to the use of nuclear weapons of mass uh, destruction, one thing is needed, a political decision by the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, Vladimir Putin. According to Vlad Vladimirov, the goals of Russia and the goals of the West are their survival and historical eternity. So we've heard this multiple times about Vladimir Putin and his, uh, no, he feels Russia is the future. Basically, he wanted to uh, have an orthodox center, so religiously, orthodox center of Christianity in Moscow. That's what one of his plans was for this. I don't know if that's still his plan, but years ago. And Russia being the center of culture, Russia being the defender of culture, Christian culture, and other things. So maybe there's some truth to this right now. Also, what... Uh, so he's saying, uh, well, uh, some of there's going to be a, have to be a decision. And the thing is, what's pressuring Putin with this whole thing? How, when will this escalate? We know what's uh, pressuring us here in the United States. Just go and go and you don't have to hear it from me. Go and Google this stuff. Uh, well, I spoke to a friend of the program here who is an arms dealer, and this is pretty much what he says uh, for this. Uh, well, he doesn't see us really getting out of this with the current cast of characters in charge on both sides here and all sides here. And here we have some weird news here. Upstate New York woman dies after falling from moving truck on thruway. New York State Police are asking for help as they investigate the death of a 32-year-old woman who died after falling from a moving vehicle. 
So basically, they, from what I gather, it sounds like there was some type of dispute and either she left the vehicle or jumped out the vehicle or got pushed out of the vehicle. So uh, anyway, how is she? Uh, I know where this, I, I actually know right where this happened. Uh, they, uh, she died. That's basically it. Uh, she was the passenger in a 2011 Ford 550 tow truck. Not too many of those around, right? So uh, I'm sure they'll find the person. Uh, they found the person, and apparently they were acquaintances. Uh, and uh, they're doing an investigation here. Uh, rest in peace uh, there. I don't know. They're doing a big investigation. Uh, I've known a couple of people where this has happened to over the years, uh, believe it or not. But that shouldn't surprise you that I have all these weird stories here. So that's what I got for News and Views. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Or actually, I shouldn't even say tomorrow. This is our next program. Back with disaster uh, preparation stuff. And I wanted to thank you for listening and bearing with the reduced audio quality here. Because it's filmed off of my iPad. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.